Hello and welcome back. We are part two in our mini series, Back to Basics. In our first part, we looked at the camera. A lot of things that we might take for granted with our camera and just understanding the overall, you know, mechanics. In our second part, we are diving into what exactly does our camera lens control? We'll be looking at how our lens affects the outcome of our images through the technical and the creative. And this is going to be of the four in this mini part series, probably one of the more complex. I'm gonna ask you to stay with me here because when you get this, it changes everything. So if you're ready, let's dive in, shall we? Hi, I'm Christine Riche, an artist and mentor to photographers around the world. Consider me your interstellar guide on the path to being a better nightscape photographer. In this podcast, we will bring together our artistic right brain and technical left brain by exploring creativity, art, and inspiration in photography, as well as diving into technique, gear, and strategy necessary to elevate your craft and photographic practice. I am so happy to be a part of your Milky Way journey. This is the After Dark Photography Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here with me. I know I always say that, but it's always true. So at the time of recording, we are just a few days out from the Your First Milky Way photo training. And I am delighted to be getting into a space of going live with people again. Um, Again, at at the time of recording, if you're listening to this as it's um, coming out, I'm coming back off of a break. And you can learn all about that on episode 40 that I've had people say that they've felt that's been my most impactful episode yet. But what it means for me personally is that I've been kind of out of the out of the general public lens. I've been hanging out with my students behind the scenes the whole time and and working with them in our communities, but I haven't been um out and going live and posting and just chatting with all the people I normally get to connect with in my community. And there's been reasons for that. And it's been useful to be able to take that time away. But it's really nice to be able to be back here. And the Your First Milky Way photo training is just really magical. (laughs) It really is. It doesn't have a catchy name. I know it's it's literally like that's what I want people to get out of it. I want people to get their first Milky Way photo. Uh, maybe if I signed up with like some branding marketing guru, they could come up with a good name. But to me, that doesn't matter. The thing that matters is that we get so many people coming in. We get thousands of photographers coming in. Many, many of them have never taken a photograph of the Milky Way before. And if you're here and listening, you might be one of my longtime supporters, someone who this will be the 11th training that you've been on me, which is amazing. Or you might be brand new. And if you're brand new, this podcast is especially for you because this series I did in mind with what I've seen recently, that a lot of people who are coming in need a little bit of help with the basics. So that's what this this whole series is about. That's why I created it. 
But back to the actual training and why I'm just, I'm just, I'm like a kid. I can't, multiple people have been saying that to me and I'm like, ah, you're not wrong. I have small kids. I see it. (laughs) I see the, uh, I see the parallels. But what gives me so much energy doing this, because it is a huge output of energy on my part to put forward these trainings and all of that. I get it back because for me, the most rewarding thing is being able to have like introduce people into this world and hear the feedback of the experiences that they're having when they're going out and they're shooting. And it's really, really quite magical. So I'm just absolutely delighted to be here and to begin to do this again. I don't take it for granted. That's for sure. Okay. So I would recommend if you do not already have like something to take notes with. It could be your phone if you're out on a walk. Absolutely. Uh, If you're somewhere that's conducive uh, to having a notepad to write down. I find I retain information much better when I physically write it out. Uh, We all have different ways that we learn better. Um, But for me to really retain something, I have to write it down. The act of writing it and then the act of seeing it helps me. There will definitely be some things in this episode uh, for anyone who's brand new. There's going to be tons of stuff where you're like, oh, I did not know that. But for anyone who has been shooting for a while, shooting a manual for a while, I think there will still be some things that come up in this episode that you're going to want to take some notes on uh, that maybe we haven't necessarily thought about before. The whole premise of this episode and the next episode, because this episode is about uh, Aperture, and the next episode, part three in the mini-series, is on shutter speed. Aperture and shutter speed are our two main controls. Yes, there's ISO, and we're going to talk about that in the fourth and final episode in this mini-series, but... Aperture and shutter are actually the two that control signal, which with night photography is the most important thing um, that we can pay attention to with our night photography. And if you want to know more about that, I do a deep dive on episode 39, The Power of Signal. So you can go back and listen to that. I have a whole episode that goes crazy, crazy in depth into that. With both our aperture and our shutter speed, We kind of have two sides of a coin with each of these settings, and it's not the same with ISO. ISO is different. That's why I'm lumping aperture and shutter speed together, and it's a signal conversation. And it's also that with our aperture and shutter speed, we have on one side of this coin, there's the technical control of how much light is the setting that we're using, so our aperture or our shutter, how much light is it letting be recorded on the sensor? And then on the other side, there's the creative control of how does that particular setting that we're using for our aperture or for our shutter speed, how does it make the image look? So we have the technical, how much light, and then the creative, the actual effect on the image itself and how it looks. And, you know, (laughs) that's the whole whole point, right? Um, It kind of, I come at this from, as photographers, we will look like crazy in depth into the technical. And then as artists, we'll be like, but I want my image to be this. And it's like, oh, I have to work within the bounds of available light that exists in the world and bah, technical. So, you know, it can be, sometimes it can be a bit, a little bit of a push and a pull between the two. 
But we always have to be balancing the technical and the creative, the available light that we have and balancing that with how we want our image to actually look so that it, you know, is the image we're trying to create. When we start here with our aperture, I said in the little intro that, you know, in our camera, we are now going by the lens because the aperture is controlled by the lens. When I say aperture, this is the actual physical opening inside the lens. It's comprised of these leaves that overlap and they can get bigger and smaller within the lens. So if you go and just look, if you haven't, I always used to do this in my in-person classes when I was teaching intro to digital photography at NASCAD University. And I would bring in one of my old manual lenses where you can turn the aperture ring and you can see these black leaves overlapping and getting bigger and then kind of disappearing into the diameter, uh, outer diameter of the lens when they're getting smaller. That's your physical aperture. You can think of it like the pupil of your eye. Um, so the bigger that that aperture is getting, just like the bigger our pupil gets, the more light is being let in versus the smaller that aperture gets or the smaller our pupil gets, the less light that comes in. The difference, of course, is that our eyes are always just automatically doing it for us based on the available light necessary so that we have the optimal amount of light to walk around and exist and, and see. Whereas with our camera, we can go into the settings and we can change that aperture in order to let in more or less light depending on the dance with our other two settings, which is our shutter speed and our ISO. We're going to get into that kind of, I do call it a dance because we're always taking these three settings and we are evening them out to get our optimal exposure. And that's what our part four, um, the fourth episode in this whole series, that's what it's going to be about. So we're going to start with the technical. For, we always start with the technical first. I find it's the one that's like, okay, this is a little bit more difficult to wrap our head around, but once we get it, then it's like, oh, the creative control is like, yeah, I get that because we're consumers of photos. <laughs> I mean, how many photos do we see in a run of a day? So many now, like it, it's mind boggling. So the creative, I find that concept comes a little bit easier because we're just already so, um, we're inundated with it. We, you can't not help but look at an image and see what I'm going to be talking about with the creative later. So with the technical, we have to get used to talking about our aperture as a measurement of the amount of light that is being let into our camera. So we will talk about having a big or the other terminology here is a wide open aperture. So a big aperture or a wide open aperture. Or on the other side, we say that we have a smaller or a closed down aperture. There is, of course, an in-between. <laughs> there are mid-range apertures that are out there, and there are useful reasons to use those, which we'll talk about near the end of this episode. But that's kind of the vernacular that we need to get. So a big, wide-open aperture, that lets in a lot of light. Basically, it's laying in as much light as that glass in the lens can collect, versus a smaller, a closed-down aperture is actually only letting in a teensy-tiny bit of light through that lens, even though there's more glass. So a common analogy that is used 
when we're teaching this type of stuff is an analogy of a bucket full of water. So I want you to imagine that water is light in this case. And our sensor, the thing that is collecting the light, the water, is underneath the bucket. So the more water that we let through the bucket, the more light that gets collected on our sensor. Think of our aperture like how big is that hole in the bottom of the bucket? So you're holding a bucket and the bucket has a maximum hole that you can make, right? Like a bucket has sides and our sensor is only going to be collecting water that's coming through the bucket. So all the other water that goes to the outside, it's not going to hit our sensor. So uh, it has a maximum hole size that you can get in this bucket, right? It's how big the bucket is. So with our lenses, how big the lens is, how much physical glass there is, that's how big of an aperture, um, give or take, based on other manufacturing stuff, which we don't have to get into today, but just stay with me here. That's how much light can come in through the aperture. Versus if we were to do a small aperture, in that bucket, we're cutting a very small hole. Think about the amount of water that's gained through. So that water is our light. So that is the idea of what our aperture actually is. The next step, once we understand that, okay, aperture is letting in a specific quantity of light, we have to figure out how do we measure that light. So what is the actual measurement of the light that we're letting in through the aperture? This is measured by what we call our f-stop, okay? F-stop. Now, I'm gonna give you an f-stop scale here. And I want us to note that we are going to do this in full stops. And you might be like, what the heck are stops, Christine? I know I'm throwing a lot of vernacular at you that might be like, this is new. We've already said aperture. Now we've said f-stop. Now you're talking about stops. We're going to get into more specifically what stops are in the fourth part of this series. Um, but basically, a stop of light is a measurement of a quantity of light. And it will be something that is consistent between our aperture, between our shutter speed, and between our ISO. So I don't want you to be like, <laughs> I don't, don't get this yet. Uh, you might if you've been shooting a manual for a while, but you might not yet. And that that piece is okay, but I do want to make sure that I tell you that the f-stop scale, I have it here, I'll make sure to put it in our show notes as well, that I'm giving you, it is this full stop of light. Um, you could think of a stop of white light like a joule of energy or a cup of water. Um, it's just a standardized way of measuring. Our f-stop, very, very important. This is the way that we measure the quantity of light that our aperture is laying in. This is also the actual setting that we do on our camera. So on your camera, where you look on your camera and you see it has F and then it has these numbers after it, that's our F-stop. That's the setting that we're using. So we have to understand how that number, that F-stop number, correlates to the actual size of the aperture. Okay. The other thing, before I give you the numbers and before I tell you, here's what the numbers mean, not all lenses have the same range of available f-stops available to them. I just said available twice, so I'm going to leave it. Uh, the 
thing here is that not all lenses are created equally. Different lenses at different focal lengths have different actual amounts of glass. You can put two lenses beside each other that are 50 millimeter and one of them will be small and one of them will feel like a brick. That's because the one that feels like a brick has more glass so it can get more light in. It has a bigger physical aperture. So your aperture is actually dependent on your lens. So when I go through the scale here, what you're going to notice is you won't have access to all of these f-stops with some of your different lenses. So on your lens itself, there is going to be a place where it tells you what the maximum aperture is that you can get on that lens. This will be marked on the actual physical lens. It can sometimes be hard to understand where it is. Um, generally, it will look like something like one colon 3.5 to 5.6. That 3.5 to 5.6 is your max aperture. Or it might be one colon 1.8. That 1.8 is your max aperture. This brings another piece in. You notice how I just said 3.5 to 5.6 for one lens, and then I said 1.8 for another lens. Okay, different lenses can have a variable maximum aperture or they can have a consistent maximum aperture. So we get some lenses that are just one focal length. These are called prime lenses. So if you want to zoom in, you gotta walk forward. If you want to zoom out, you have to walk backwards. Those are prime lenses. So like a 50 millimeter lens or a 24 millimeter lens. Those will have a constant aperture, just one aperture. That's the maximum aperture you can get for those lenses. It's generally somewhere between 1.4 um, and maybe 2.8. Now, then we have zoom lenses where you can stay in the exact same spot and you can just zoom in the lens and all of a sudden your image looks bigger or you can zoom out and you see more of your overall scene in front of you. Those are called zoom lenses um, or if you want to get technical, it's a fixed focal length versus a variable focal length lens. Our zoom lenses, that's what most of us are calling it, let's be real, our zoom lenses in general, have a variable maximum aperture. What that means is when you're zoomed out, you're at the lower focal length, you can get a bigger maximum aperture. And then when you zoom in and you're at a longer focal length, you get a smaller maximum aperture. That's why there's that range, that 3.5 to 5.6. I'm not pulling the 3.5 to 5.6 number out of my butt, by the way. That is the normal aperture range for the normal kit lens that comes on most APS-C cameras. So most like Nikon, Sony, Canons um, that are APS-C come with an 18 to 55 millimeter lens. The maximum aperture on that lens is a variable maximum aperture of 3.5 to 5.6. You can get zoom lenses that have a fixed max aperture. They just cost a lot more. Like we're in the thousands of dollars instead of the hundreds of dollars. So you can get a 24 to 70 f 2.8 but it's gonna cost around probably $2,500. So this is where things start to get a little bit complicated because we learn, okay, here's what the aperture scale is. And then we go and we try and use this on our camera and we're like, why can't we do this? Or if this has ever happened to you, if you've been trying to set your aperture before and you, uh, you're like, okay, it's good. I'm at my biggest aperture, I'm at 3.5. And then all of a sudden you can only get 4.5. And you're like, what happened? why can't I go back? And you keep trying to move the dials and it will not go back to 3.5. It's because you zoomed in your lens by accident and now 3.5 is no longer available. So we do need to understand 
that yes, this f-stop is a measurement of light and there is a scale, a standardized scale. However, depending on the lens that we have, we have access to different numbers that are on this scale. If this is brand new for you, I am going to highly recommend that you get out your lenses and just like go to our friend Google and put in, you know, um, Sony uh, 14 millimeter, whatever lens, uh, maximum aperture, Canon 18 to 55 millimeter lens, maximum aperture, and you will see that information will come up. Uh, it's really good to just know this. It doesn't change <laughs> unless you get new lenses. It will be the same. So it's one of those things where it's like, we do it, we figure it out, and then that's it. That's all we have to know. Okay, so we are going to, I'm gonna give you the f-stop lens scale here, and then I'm going to talk about what they mean. So I'm going to start at a lower f-stop, so f1.4. Now, there are some super duper expensive lenses that go to f1.2. I am not including f1.2 because it is not a full stop. So, um, and there's not very many lenses that go down lower than f1.2. There is like a, an f0.95, but there's not really that many. And f1.2 lenses are crazy expensive. You know, we're talking thousands upon thousands for these lenses, but there are f1.4 lenses out there that are reasonably priced. So we're gonna start at f1.4. Next, there's f2, then there's f2.8, f4, f5.6, f8, f11, f16, f22, and f32. I have that on the show notes, so just go to afterdarkphotographypodcast.com and then go to episode uh, 43 and you'll be able to just like look at that if you're like, oh, too quick, Christine, too quick. What I want you to notice here when you actually look at it all written out is that there's a halving and doubling that happens. Do we absolutely need to know this? No, but I want you to actually be able to remember this stuff. I mean, like, what did she say? Do I have to Google it again? Let me go look at my notes. I want us to be able to actually bring this into our head because it makes life a heck of a lot easier as we go on as photographers. There's a having and doubling in all of our settings. Now it becomes a little bit more tricky with our aperture because it skips. So it goes f1.4, f2, f2.8. 1.4 times 2 is 2.8. So there's a halving and a doubling there. It just skips one. So there's f1.4, f2, f2.8. So what's the next number? Well, it's double of f2, so it's f4. So if you look at the scale run out, look, it skips a number, but it halves and it doubles. So f5.6, two numbers after that is f11. I know it's not perfect, but they're rounding these numbers to make them easier for us. Um, two numbers after that is F22. So you will at some point be able to internalize these numbers of the aperture scale in your head. That point does not have to be now, but let's just get familiar with them and understand that there's this having and doubling because that will come up as we go through the other parts in this four-part series. So our F-stop is the measurement of how big our actual physical aperture in the lens is. It's based, I hesitate to bring this up because we can go crazy technical if we want to, but we don't need to. 
it's based off of the overall diameter of the lens versus how much light is being let into the lens. So if you're someone who really likes to know that, you can go and look that up, like just kind of put that in f-stop measurement diameter of lens, um, and it'll give you the calculations there and you can you can help your, your logical brain. Uh, for the rest of us, you really don't need to know that bit. The piece that we need to know is how do the numbers relate to the actual amount of light? So remember this, you remember anything, the entirety of what I'm saying to you here, just like come back to me, remember this bit. The lower the number is, the more light that is let in. So the lower the actual number, the greater the quantity of light. So a low number is a big aperture. A high number is a small aperture and it's letting in less light. Okay, the lowest f-stop on your lens, the lowest number that you have, that is the most light that your lens can let in. So some lenses can let in f1.4, that's their maximum aperture, but then there's other lenses that can only let in f4. That's a lot less light than that f1.4 lens. That's also why the f1.4 lens costs more money than the f4 lens. Um, that maximum aperture is crazy important, especially as we get into night photography, where getting the maximum amount of signal is as important as possible. Side note, this is one of the reasons I almost exclusively shoot with prime lenses because you can get that maximum aperture and they're not crazy expensive. Like I can't get a zoom lens uh, that's f1.4, not for my current gear. There's like one uh, there's, yeah, there's not much out there for that, but they would be crazy expensive. But prime lenses for f1.4, I can do, and they're not stupidly expensive. They're a little bit more, but they're not like, okay, well, mortgage my house, get a lens, you know? Um, so the lowest f-stop that you have gives you the most amount of light that your lens can let in. Now, the highest f-stop that you have, and again, that number will shift. Some lenses only go to f-16. Some go to f-22, f-32, maybe f-44. Um, there was a whole uh, landscape club, and it was the uh, the 44, f-44 club um, way back, way back in the, the film days. Um, you can look them up. But the higher f-stop lets in the least amount of light possible. When I first learned this, I was just like, okay, this is backwards. <laughs> In my head, I was like, it's backwards. Because the small number should be less light, but it's not. So the smaller the number, the more light you have. The bigger the number, the less light you have. One of the ways that I was able to internalize this is I thought of the f-stop numbers as fractions. So I thought of it as like f2 is one half versus f22 is one twenty-second. And so in my head, that made sense. There's no actual, that's not how it works. That's not the reason the numbers are there, okay? So don't go out telling people that because that is not it. But that's just how I figured it out and remembered it in my head. So take this away. The lower the number, the more light you have. So when I say a big aperture, I'm talking a small number like f1.4 or f2. And when I say a small aperture, I'm talking a high number, so f16, f22, f32, those are the small apertures. This is super, super, super duper important because when you're on your camera, it's just numbers. You just have these numbers, and how do you pick out the number? Well, it makes sense if you're in a situation where it's dark, you want more light, so you want to have a bigger physical aperture, but if we don't remember what the numbers control while we're here at our camera, it becomes very difficult to um, to 
do this right, to use the right settings. And now with our lenses, this is an important note because I talked about earlier how like you could see the physical aperture. You can't see it. All of our lenses are digital now. So they actually, the way that our lenses work, unless you have an older manual lens where you have to set the aperture on a physical aperture ring, the way that our lenses actually work is our lenses are always with the wide open aperture so that they can get in as much light as possible while we're shooting so it's just easier to actually see then when you go to take the photo at that point when you click the shutter release the camera will instruct the aperture to close down just for the moment when you're actually taking the photo so you can't actually say okay I'm going to put this on f22 and then look in your lens and see a small aperture it doesn't work like that it's always just going to look the same so we have to understand what the numbers mean conceptually so that when we are actually there with our camera in front of us we can make a decision based off of well, there's a lot of light. Okay, maybe I should have a smaller aperture. It's nighttime. I'm going to need a big aperture. But knowing a small aperture is the higher number and a big aperture is the lower number. Okay? So I'll say it one more time. F1.4 is a big aperture. Lots of light. F2 is a big aperture. Lots of light. F22, small aperture. Very little amount of light. That's our technical control. Okay? Now, you might be like, well, how does this work with everything else? We will get to that how our technical control of the quantity of light that we're letting into our camera links up with our shutter speed and with our um, overall exposure in the final episode that we do. But right now, I just want us to wrap our head around this idea that we're getting a specific quantity of light coming into our camera through our lens. The next is our creative control. So our lens controls the depth of field that is in our image. What is depth of field? This is a key thing. If you ever see DOF as an acronym, it means depth of field. And depth of field is the amount of your image that is in focus moving outwards from your camera. So I want you, okay, I gotta try and use a sport analogy here. Just know that I watch a lot of sports on TV, but I don't play sports. And I only watch the sports on TV because my husband watches them and he'll snuggle me while they're on TV so I can just have snacks and scroll my phone. So this is like, this is not like, like third party what uh, information about sports, but you know, like how many steps removed, but I'm going to try. Okay. So I want you to think of your focus like, uh, let's say a football field. We've been, football has been starting up. We've been watching, um, I like the Hamilton Ticats. Uh, just because they're called the Thai Cats, just like I like the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, anyone here, sports fans, don't come at me if you're like, I hate those teams. But uh, they're both cats. The Bengals have like awesome stripes on their helmets. Yes, yes, this is how I make my decisions on the teams that I like. I also like the Miami Dolphins because they're dolphins and because of the movie. Okay, anyways, so, sorry, squirrel, they get onto different things. I want you to think of your focus like a football field. So we have to choose a point of focus. So let's say we're standing at, um, oh, what's the goal point thing? The thing where they kick the, the field goals through. We're standing at the goal post, right? We're standing there and we're looking back across the entirety of the field. You have to choose a point on the field as your focus point. So let's say you choose center field as your focus point. That piece will be in focus. So that piece, if we think about it going out, um, 
from us vertically, we get to that center field point, then on a horizontal line coming out from us. So depth of field works um, when things get more in focus or out of focus, it's things closer and farther away from us. It's not up and down. Everything on a vertical axis is in focus at that center field point. So if you had 15 footballers standing on top of each other's head, they would all be in focus, right? I don't know why they would ever be doing that. Maybe I should be saying cheerleaders. They're the ones with the, the uh, physical abilities to do crazy stuff like that. Um, going up and down is all in focus, but in front and behind is not in focus. So if you have someone standing at center field with a football, and then you have someone standing close to you, like let's say they're standing at the 10-yard line close to you, they might be out of focus. Or let's say you have someone on the other side of the field, at the other goalpost on the other end of the field, they might be out of focus. That's our depth of field. Our depth of field is how much in behind and in front of our focus point is in focus. So with our depth of field, a shallow depth of field would mean Let's say we're going to take everyone on the football team and we're going to line them up from the other end of the football field, the goalpost, all the way up to us. And we're going to focus on the person who's standing at center field. Depth of field is how many of those people are in focus. So a shallow depth of field might mean that you just have the person at center field in focus, whereas a deep depth of field means you've got the person close to you and the person at the other end of the field in focus. That's our shallow versus our deep depth of field. Depth of field is 100% controlled by our lens. Now, this is the creative control because, let's think about this, when have we been in a situation before where we're taking a photograph and it's like, oh, this is stunning. I want to see everything. Well, you don't want to get just like the flower in front of you in focus. That's not going to be helpful. Everything else is out of focus. You can't see it. So you want to have a learned depth of field versus when we're in a situation where it's like, okay, I just want the focus to be on this one thing. I don't want everything else to distract. Like maybe um, you're taking a photograph of a fern in the middle of the forest. There's lots of stuff going on. Forests are busy. Like if you really look around, it's like there's a lot of leaves, there's a lot of textures, there's a lot of physical things. So you might want to have a really shallow depth of field where just that fern is in focus and everything else is thrown out of focus. This is our creative control. This is a huge way that we can determine how people interact and see in our images. This is 100% controlled by our lens. Now, most often people think it's just controlled by our aperture. Our aperture does contribute to it and it contributes quite a bit to it, but there's two other factors as well. So the next step now, now that we understand what depth of field is, I hope you loved our, our foray into sports. It'll probably be the only time it happens on the podcast. Um, now that we understand what depth of field is and that it's controlled by our lens, we have to understand the three factors that actually control it through our lens. And the three things are, I'll give them to you first and then we'll go into the actual rule for each of them. So the three things are going to be number one, our aperture. Number two, how close or far away your focus point is. So the distance of your focus point is not the depth of field, but just the point at which you decide to focus your lens. And then the focal length you're shooting with. So those are our three things. So I'll repeat it for those in the back. Our aperture, the distance of our focus point from the camera and the focal length that you're shooting with. Those are the three things. 
what are the what are the rules? We'll start with our aperture. The reason that I list that one first is because that's what most people generally think of when they think of their um, their control for depth of field. It's our aperture. Well, it's also your focus point and your focal length. Uh, but our aperture, this one's easy. Okay, if you have that notepad or that thing to write down with, I would write this down. Aperture, controlling depth of field. The bigger the aperture is, the less depth of field you have. Okay, the bigger the aperture that you're using is, the less depth of field you have. Big aperture, less depth of field. Okay, the smaller the aperture that you are using, the more depth of field that you have. Say it again, the smaller the aperture that you are using, the more depth of field that you have. Now, really, really important to remember a big aperture is a small number. So you could, I mean, I, I'm always trying to think of like, how can I make these things stick in my head so I don't mix it up? Sometimes I feel like I'm slightly dyslexic and I, I might be, there's some things that I just get mixed up. So you might be like, okay, yeah, I get it, Christine. But someone else might also be like, ah, no, how am I gonna remember that bit? So for me, I'm like, okay, big aperture um, is less depth of field. So that's actually a small number on my camera is a small depth of, uh, is a, a less depth of field. So a small amount of depth of field, right? That might be a way that it works for you, maybe not. Maybe you just remember the bigger the aperture is, the wider open it is. That means a small number. That means I don't have very much in focus. Now there are actual like reasons, there, there's physics behind this. And if you want to learn about this, I'm gonna recommend you go and Google circles of confusion <laughs> um, and you'll probably find something that will leave you a little bit confused, but it actually, is its physics is the reason why. Um, the angle at which the light comes in through a bigger aperture gives you less depth of field. Um, your circles of confusion happen more quickly <laughs> or just confused because we're talking about that. You don't need to know that, but for anyone here who is like, I like to know these very technical things and it just helps you understand, um, go look that up and you'll find stuff um, that teaches you. I can't teach you that without showing it to you. Podcast is, is not the way to teach that. So big aperture is less depth of field and small aperture is more depth of field. So we will generally say um, shallow depth of field um, versus deep depth of field. So a big aperture gives you that shallow depth of field and a small aperture gives you a deep depth of field. So shallow depth of field comes from apertures like f1.4, f2, f2.8. Whereas a deep depth of field comes from these small apertures like f16 um, or f22 or f32. Now, you might now be thinking something in your head like, oh, well, I see these night photos and they're always at f2.8 and it looks like everything is in focus. But Christine, you just said if you have a big aperture, a wide open aperture like f2.8, you're going to have really shallow depth of field. It's not always the case. These three things go together. Our aperture, our focus point, and our focal length, they go together. And if we have an extreme on our focus point or our focal length, then our aperture doesn't make as big a difference. So that's why it's really important to know all three of these. Okay, so at this point, I want you to have retained that with our aperture, a big aperture gives us a shallow depth of field. 
So those uh, small numbers, f1.4, f2, f2.8, they inherently have less depth of field because of the optics. And our smaller aperture, those are our bigger numbers. <laughs> Let's get confused. Um, f 16, F22, F32, those give us a deep depth of field. They have a lot more stuff in focus inherently because of um, physics and the optics. The next is our focus point. Okay, remember, these are the things I want you to write down. This is the rule. The closer your focus point is to you and your camera, the less depth of field you have. Okay, so the closer your focus point is, the less depth of field you have. The farther away your focus point is from you and your camera, the more depth of field you have. So the farther your focus point is, the more depth of field that you have. This is where I'm talking about the extremes. If our focus point is, you know, mid-range between our scene, so think about your depth of field as being starting immediately at the camera and ending at the horizon because anything after the horizon turns into kind of like infinity focus. So that's going to be the depth that's in our scene. Now, we're standing um, at the edge of a wildflower field and there's a mountain in the distance. That's a lot of depth of field, right? You've got, I can't, I don't gauge linear distances away from me well. I can't tell you how many meters or feet or yards or miles or kilometers that would be. My brain just doesn't work like that, but it's a lot. Versus if you were taking a scene and you are crouched down at the beach and you've got a little boardwalk and it goes to um, a pathway and then there's beach grass there and that's all you see. That's less of an area to have in focus. There's less depth there. It's just whatever it is to walk down that little boardwalk. Um, that's a lot less depth. So the focus point in the first situation with the mountain, you could focus on a flower right in front of you. The closer your focus point is, the less depth of field you have. If you focus super close to you in that scene, you're going to like just have the flower and nothing else will be in focus because there's so much more depth in it. If we focus close to us, let's say there's a flower on the boardwalk in front of us in our beach scene. We focus on that flower on the boardwalk. We're still going to have some of the boardwalk in behind it in focus. Not a lot, but it takes up more of our frame because of the way we're framing it versus in our first image. So there's a lot more inherently shallow depth of field with our focus point. If we focus in the middle of these scenes with our mountain version, we focus somewhere in between the awesome wildflowers that are close to us and the awesome mountain that's way in the back. You know, it's somewhere in the valleys or whatever is going on in the middle. We focus there. We're going to have an average amount of depth of field. This is when our aperture really comes into play, where having a bigger aperture or smaller aperture is going to very much affect how much is in focus. In the first instance, I forgot to say this, in the first instance where we're focusing really close to us, it doesn't matter if you shoot that. Um, at f22, you're not getting everything in focus. You just will not. You can't um, because you're focusing so close to you. You're at that extreme with your focus point. When we're, our focus point is not at the extreme, where our focus point is somewhere in the middle of the depth that we have, our aperture actually then controls a much bigger part of how much depth of field there is. So now then let's focus on the thing that's farthest away from us. So in the mountain scene, we're focusing on the mountain. So the mountain is super, sorry, that's my Siri talking to me. Um, in the mountain scene, we're focusing on the mountain. It's super far away from us. 
So the farther your focus point is, the more depth of field you have. That's an extreme version, right? It's super far away from us. So guess what? Everything's going to be in focus pretty much. Now, our aperture will help so that the flowers that are right in front of us will be more or less in focus, but we have a crazy amount of depth of field when our focus point is really far away from us. So this is why people are like, well, but night photos, like why is everything in focus and they're shooting at f2.8? Because your focus point is literally at infinity. It's at the stars. It's outside of this world. It is as far away as your focus point can be. So inherently, because of this rule, we get more depth of field. Now, in our second option here at the boardwalk, we are focusing on that grass. Guess what? That grass, that's our horizon level, is not actually that far away from us. So we're not going to have a crazy amount of depth of field. We'll probably still have the stuff in front of us out of focus unless we use a much smaller aperture to get in focus because our focus point is not as far away from us. So focus point becomes super important. When people are like, I can't get everything in focus. And I'm like, well, it's because you're focusing so close to you. It's just not possible within the optics of the lens. You need focus stack. Or when people are like, I can't get stuff out of focus. I'm shooting these big scenes and I want to just have the mountain in the back in focus. And it's like, well, it doesn't really work like that. It's just not how it works. So we have to understand this in order to take our images more successfully. Now, the last one is our focal length. Okay, here's the rule. The longer your focal length, so that means like higher number, more of a zoom. So longer your focal length, so like 70 millimeters, 20 mil, uh, 200 millimeters rather, 500 millimeters. The longer your focal length, the less depth of field that you have. The shorter your focal length, the more depth of field you have. Right, I'll repeat those again. The longer your focal length, the less depth of field you have. The shorter your focal length, the more depth of field you have. Now, it is not that our focal length is changing our depth of field. I know it sounds like that. It's actually that a longer focal length is magnifying the out of focus area. If we think about this, a longer focal length is only showing us a very small portion of our scene. And what generally happens is we are shooting something that is further away from us and we're getting more of that out of focus area in our scene versus a shorter focal length, a wide angle lens is showing us the whole scene. So like, let's, let's go back to this mountain. A long focal length is going to well, it depends how long how long you have. Um, a long focal length is going to show you um, a tree, however many yards away. Again, I don't deal in distances like that. My brain doesn't work. So I'm not going to try it because there will be people here who will be like, <laughs> that's inherently wrong, Christine. I'll be like, yeah, it is. Um, but let's just say far away, there is a tree with an eagle on it. Your long focal length is just going to get the treetop and the eagle sitting on it. And that will be your whole image. The mountain is going to look out of focus in behind it, depending on the aperture that you're using, because you're magnifying it and you're seeing it super big. If you are shooting with a wide focal length, if you're shooting with a wide angle, you might not even be able to tell that there's an eagle on that tree because it's so teensy tiny in your frame. And the mountain might still be a little bit out of focus, but it's not going to look nearly as out of focus 
because it's teensy tiny in your frame in comparison to what we have when we're shooting with a longer focal length. So with our focal lengths, this is also the extreme. When you shoot with a really long focal length, it is hard to get absolutely everything crisp because you're shooting with such a high focal length. You're going to get whatever your focus point is in focus, but the rest of it will kind of probably be a little bit out of focus. You'll have to try and work with your aperture. When you shoot with a short focal length, it is very hard to get a shallow depth of field. So if you're shooting with a crazy wide angle, so let's say you have a fisheye or you just have a wide angle. So you're on a full frame, you have a 14 millimeter, um, you're on APS-C, you have a 10 millimeter, you're on a micro four thirds and you have a seven millimeter. It is hard to get a shallow depth of field. It is very hard versus you put a portrait lens on there. So let's say a 50 millimeter on full frame, 35, APS-C, 25 on micro four thirds. It's easy. You get a person in focus and everything and behind them is out of focus. That's easy to do because that's a mid-range focal length. So you can use your aperture to get everything in focus or everything out of focus. But with that wide angle, it's the extremes. So this is where I find depth of field gets the most confused with people because we think it's just the aperture, but it's not. Our focus distance and our focal length is important. So if you are at either, the, the thing I want you to remember here, if you are at either extreme with your focus point, so the distance away that your focus point is, if it's super close or super far, and you're at either extreme with your focal length, so your super wide angle or your super telephoto, you are going to have difficulty getting what is not inherent. So a super close focus point is going to mean a shallow depth of field. It's very difficult not to get that. A super far focus point is going to mean a deep depth of field. It's hard not to get that. With your focal length, a super long focal length means shallow depth of field. It's just hard not to have that. And a super wide focal length means deep depth of field. It's just really hard when you're at those extremes. So it's important to understand all of those pieces together. So do we get how to create our depth of field? I hope we do at this point. Feel free. This is the thing with these podcasts. Go back and listen to the parts you need at whatever time you do and take notes as you go. So then once we know this, okay, our aperture is how much light is coming in. Our f-stop is measuring that light and the actual physical aperture we're using, the focus point and the focal length that we're shooting with creates our depth of field. Then maybe we need to talk about depth of field. <laughs> Like what, what depth of field do I want in my image? I don't know. Uh, when is a deep depth of field a good idea? So a deep depth of field means we want to see everything in the image. So at what point can we come up with, with some ideas that having everything in focus is good? So like my mountain shot, yeah, I probably want everything in focus. So it would be nice to see the wildflowers in front of me, the rolling hills, and then the mountain in behind versus a shallow depth of field. A shallow depth of field is when we want to isolate our subject. Remember when I was talking about that fern in the forest? If I had a deep depth of field in that instance, the fern is just another piece of pattern and texture and noise in a very pattern and textured environment. So a shallow depth of field isolates. My kind of rule of thumb in, in my thought is a shallow depth of field will draw my attention to one particular thing versus a deep depth of field, 
is going to let me see the entirety of the scene. Now, there are ways that you can draw your eye through the scene, and this gets us into composition and lighting and dodging and burning and all of those things. Like, there's a lot that you can do to lead someone's eye through a scene with a deep depth of field. But for me, a deep depth of field is when all the elements of the scene that I'm photographing are important to be able to see. Because here's the thing. If something is blurry and out of focus, people are not going to look at it. They're not. This is what we use visually to tell people what's important or not important. If I, right now, I'm looking at the sound waves as I'm recording this on my computer, um, I can see in behind my computer, I can see the tripod that I use for my smartphone and I can see a chair that I have set there, but they're blurry like they're out of focus. I'm paying attention to my peripheral vision right now just because I'm literally talking this through with you here, but they're blurry and out of focus. They are not the important thing. The important thing is making sure that I pay attention to the sound waves, that I don't mess up the recording. That's what I'm paying attention to. That's what's in focus. It's the same in our images. What's in focus gets the attention. What's out of focus doesn't. So that's kind of the thought process that I want you to be going through. Now, in terms of setting our Apture and playing with it, your homework, if you would like to take it, is to go into aperture priority on your camera. So hopefully after the last episode, you've gone in and you've kind of played around and looked at the different places on your camera, go to aperture priority. What aperture priority does is it goes in and it says, okay, I'm gonna set the shutter and the ISO. ISO sometimes not, it depends on your camera. You might have to have auto ISO on. It's going to set your other either shutter speed or shutter speed and ISO to give you what the camera thinks is a well-exposed image based on the aperture you choose. The camera's not always going to be right. You might get some images that are super dark or super bright. We don't really care about that here. We just care about playing with these three variables that we have. So the first is your aperture, the second is your focus point, and the, sec the third is your focal length. And I want you to just use different apertures and see how they affect your images. Use different focus points. Try shooting something really close to you and going through different apertures and seeing how the image looks. This is not an exercise about creating the best, most award-winning, I'm gonna print it, it's gonna be so good. It's not about that. This is about inherently getting to know your aperture, your focus point, your focal length, the lens controls and how they affect the final image. When you do this work, when you practice, then it starts to become second nature. And so when we get to the points where it matters, where maybe we're going to create an image that's like, oh, this is a once in a lifetime chance to get this, to, to capture this shot, we don't have to be stopping and thinking about it. We already know it. Now, I have a couple little things that I want to talk about here. Um, that are along the same vein. Um, the first is um, sharpness. And you will find that your mid-range f-stops, this is generally around f8 on most of our lenses, but like if you look at your aperture scale, so what's the biggest aperture you have? Maybe it's f2, and what's the smallest aperture you have? Maybe it's f22. What's the middle aperture? That is generally the sharpest quality that you can get out of a particular lens. It's not always the case. And there are lots, if you go to lenstips.com, you can go and you can look up people, um, this particular site I quite like, um, but there's lots of different places where you can look um, and you can see quality of a specific lens and the aperture that's the sharpest. Most often it's going to be around F8. The old 
film rule um, is that uh, you would stop down two stops from your biggest aperture. So like, let's say um, our biggest aperture is at f2. So stopping down two stops from that is f4. Um, or if your max aperture is f4, stopping down two stops is f8. It doesn't, it worked well in film. It doesn't really translate now with digital lenses. Um, but it's the idea that your biggest aperture is probably going to be soft. Um, it gets in lots of light, but the light that it captures is a little bit more soft due to the optics. And then if you stop down all the way, because you're like, I want everything to be in focus, we actually get into a problem of diffraction. So when you go to your smallest apertures, they are not as sharp. You have more depth of field at your smallest apertures, but the depth of field that you have is not as sharp as if you were shooting at something like f8 or f11. And that's because of diffraction and the way that the light is bent. So you can, that's another thing. It's a visual thing I would have to show you. It does not translate to a podcast, but if you um, YouTube uh, small aperture diffraction, you will find a perfect well explanation on there. I don't need to redo one for you. Um, so that is a case to not use our super wide apertures or super small apertures, but it's not always the case that we're going to have the option. <laughs> there are times when there's too much light and we have to use a small aperture because of the quantity of light and not having an image that's bright white. And then there's times like astrophotography where we need as much light as possible. So we use the biggest aperture that we can. The only thing I want to say on that, I do generally use the biggest aperture I can unless my lens has really bad aberrations. Um, this is something I go in depth into in my masterclass. We won't be going into this in the free training. It's just, it's like a, it's technical. It's a next level thing um, to go in and do. But the basic idea is that some lenses will have very bad aberrations. And what that means is things that should look like a point of light do not look like a point of light. Um, and what looks like a point of light in astro? Well, all of our stars. So what happens is, practically speaking, when we look at an image, the stars that are in the corners of our image are not circles anymore. And it depends on the type of aberration. Is it coma? They actually look like little comets. Um, it, what type of aberration is it? They will look different. Different lenses inherently have different amounts of aberration. Those lenses I talked about before are like these like F1.2 lenses where it's like, oh, F1.2. You know, you have to say it in that voice because it's like, it's such a nice lens. Guess what? They're actually, they're like crap <laughs> for Astro. I'm just say that, say that quietly so I don't have the, the lens gods smite me. Um, they're terrible for Astro. They have terrible aberrations in the corners. Um, and so they're, they're not good lenses. So uh, that's something that I, I work through with my masterclass students. I actually have like a, a test um, a lens aberration test that people can do to test their own lenses. Um, and then we go in and we talk about that. But it is important to um, to pay attention to that, specifically for astrophotography. It's not the type of thing like you have your lenses that you have now, you use them, you'll see it. It will be consistent. But if you are purchasing a new lens and you want to specifically use that lens for astrophotography, you need to look up what the aberrations are. Um, and that's something we we talk about that all the time um, inside the the full class, my signature um, Milky Way Photography Masterclass, because it, it's always coming up. People always want to buy stuff. They tell me that I'm enabling them, but am I really? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I think they just want to buy stuff. Um, so that's the only other thing that I want to make sure that I point out. 
that's uh, that's what we've got here in terms of this episode. So we went over a lot. Remember, I did in my intro episode said, hey, make sure you listen to this one before the shutter speed one. I don't know how long the shutter speed one's going to be. I'm recording these chronologically. I think it will be shorter than this. It's a lot less complicated. So just like take a quick little moment and give yourself a pat on the back, because if you are at this point, then you've done it. (laughs) You have gone through it. You might need to listen once or twice more. You might need to take down some more notes to do a little bit of practice, but that's it. This is the hardest piece in like all of the technical bits. This is the hardest piece until we get to equivalent exposures and that's in the fourth episode. And uh, you gotta stick with me to then. Thank you for being here. Thanks for coming through this with me for learning about our aperture. If you're listening to this in about real time when it comes out, uh, we're getting started real soon. So um, this episode is coming out on August the 6th. 2023. And the first training for the Your First Milky Way photo is coming out on August 8th. And we've got Q&A coming up um, and the uh, demos coming up and then the live shoot, which is just going to be absolutely epic. My gosh, I can't wait for it. Um, where I'm, It's too far out. I cannot start looking at the weather yet. I'm not even going to do that. That's just torture for me. So I won't do that. But I know it's going to be so fun. I did the moon photo shoot this past week. I tested everything out. It is a go. I am super excited um, for all of it. So I would just love to have you there. If you're here and you're listening with me now, if you are brand new, I can't wait to have you and see your images. If you've been on multiple of my trainings before, come on it again. You are like the secret sauce of what makes this work. Um, The community that we have is unrivaled. Um, It is, you know, it's the type of thing that you, you can't, you can't fake a community. You can fake a lot of things. I like to think that I don't, but you can't fake a good community. And um, the community that is inside of these trainings is just unmatched. So I'm getting excited. If you can't tell, I'm getting excited. So I will see you there. Uh, if you need to sign up to that, it's the link is on the After Dark Photography podcast, but it is just you go to christinerosephotography.com forward slash your first Milky Way photo and that gets you to it. Or just go to christinerosephotography.com and click the banner banner up on the top and that will let you um, go and, uh, and sign up. And of course, there's always replays um, because I know we've got time zones out the yin yang here. Um, we have people who I'll be doing something at uh, nine o'clock at night and it's 11 o'clock a.m. the next day. And for other people, it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. So we've got tons of time zones. We can't always be live for everyone, but there are replays for everything that is live because um, otherwise it's just just not fair. So I will see you there. I look forward to just having your presence um, in the group and in the training and getting to see your images and getting to see what you create or getting to hear you complain about clouds. I mean, we'll take either. It's it's all part of the part of the deal, right? Okay. Thank you for being here. Take care. I will see you soon. <laughs>